We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we are continuing Surah Al-Kahf and the floor is yours. So today I will be discussing Ayat 32 to 49 of Surah Al-Kahf. Um, and I'll start off with Ayat 32 to 44, um, which talk about the story of two men, one of whom had two gardens. Um, and the man who had two gardens was uh, arrogant and he believed that his wealth would never perish. So the first man who I mentioned before, he had two gardens and he was very wealthy. Um, the ayat, uh, in the ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَكَانَ لَهُ ثَمَرُ which means that in those gardens, um, there was a lot of wealth. Um, and this wealth could be in the form of fruits on the trees, as well as um, wealth in terms of gold and silver. And this man told the other man, Ana akhtaru min kamala, which means I am more than you in wealth. He was very proud of his wealth and he didn't believe in life after death. And he thought that if there was life after death, that it would be better than the life that he had uh, right then, because he thought that wealth was um, sort a sort of indicator of how pleased um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was with him. Um, the second man who he was talking to, he wasn't as wealthy as the first man, but he was a true believer. And he didn't believe that um, wealth was an indicator of how close you were to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and this is true because wealth is also given to disbelievers and people who sin. So it's not a good indicator of how uh, close you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala approves of you. Um, only faith can determine that. And so this first man, um, after uh, saying all these arrogant remarks, um, his garden, his both of his gardens were destroyed by a major calamity. And in the Quran, um, it doesn't say exactly which calamity it, it was, but that the gardens were completely destroyed. Um, some scholars speculate that it could have been a fire because the word husbana was used, and this word is often associated with fire. So when the second man was uh, telling the first man um, that you know wealth isn't necessarily a, an indicator of how, how much Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with you, he told him to say, um, which means everything is as Allah wills and that there is no power except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the reason why um, we are told to say this is because um, it protects us from or it protects something against the evil eye. And there are many uh, hadith that back this up saying mashallah to um, protect something against the evil eye. Um, so the next ayat, ayat 45 to 49, um, there are some remarks about the fleeting nature of the worldly life. There's a reminder that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over everything. Um, there's the mention of wealth and children being the embellishment of this world. There's also the mention of everlasting virtues being more um, sort of important than the wealth and children. Uh, there's also a description of the day of judgment when we will receive our book of deeds um, and everything will be accounted for in them, including major and minor deeds, as well as good and bad deeds. So in ayah 
in ayah 46, um, there's a mention of الصالحات, which uh, translates to everlasting virtues. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that these everlasting virtues are better than wealth and children, which are considered to be the adornment of this earth or of this life. Um, and so scholars sort of debate about what these everlasting virtues are. Um, there are some narrations that point to um, these everlasting virtues being um, certain adhkar. So um, these would be subhanallah, which means pure as Allah, la ilaha illallah, which means there is no God except Allah, um, alhamdulillah, which means all praise belongs to Allah, Allahu Akbar, which means Allah is the greatest, uh, and wala hawla wala quwwata illa billah, which means there is no power and no strength except with Allah. Uh, some scholars say that these um, everlasting virtues could also be the five daily prayers. And other scholars um, speculate that these um, everlasting virtues are righteous deeds in general. So this would include um, the adhkar that I mentioned above and um, the five daily prayers. Um, so in these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying that wealth and children or al-mal wal-banun um, are sort of less in ranking than the everlasting virtues because um, the word everlasting indicates that these virtues will survive and will actually aid you on the day of judgment. Um, there is a narration that uh, says that Ali radiallahu anhu said that the uh, wealth and children are the cash crops of this dunya and the everlasting virtues are um, the deferred crops of the akhirah. So um, wealth and children sort of keep you happy in this world, but uh, in order to be happy in the akhirah, you need those everlasting virtues. And then there are some narrations that suggest that having righteous daughters um, counts as those everlasting virtues because um, they are often a source of reward for their parents. Um, in these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also gives visuals of the day of judgment. So he says, which means you have come to us empty-handed as we created you at first. So these ayat are saying that uh, just as the day we are born, on the day that we are resurrected, we will um, be gathered with no clothing and no wealth, just as how we came into this world. Um, and then some scholars uh, make the distinction that when we are initially uh, resurrected, we will rise in um, the clothes that we were buried in. And then in Ayah 49, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, which means, and they will find what they did all there. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about the book of deeds. Um, and so if we, did, we, if we do good deeds, those good deeds will translate to the blessings of paradise. And if we do bad deeds, those bad deeds will translate into punishment in the hellfire. And then scholars talk about specific sins. Um, so for example, um, not paying zakah, in that case, um, the unpaid zakah will um, go to the person in the grave in the form of a snake and say, Ana maluk, or I am your wealth. And so in these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is basically saying that um, all of our deeds will be 
accounted for in this book and that um, those deeds will take the form of reward or punishment uh, on the day of judgment. Okay, it's not work, mashallah. And, and mashallah is one of the instructions you gave that we should be saying. So, yeah, so, so to emphasize a couple of the points, uh, you mentioned the point about uh, the, guard, the guy with the garden uh, took his dunyawi material success as an indication of what his akhirah will be like. That's actually a school of theology in Christianity that created a whole work ethic. And there's a famous, one of the most famous books in sociology is about this. It's called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And I love talking about this book because I think it's a profound idea that he, this uh, author, Max Weber, uh, back in the 1800s is trying to figure out why is it that America is on top of the world? This is in the 1800s, he's saying this. And he is saying that, okay, the majority population at the time in America was Calvinist Protestant. And in their theology, if you are, uh, what's the word? If you are doing well materially in this world, this is a material world, then that's an indication that God loves you. And then in the next life, the spiritual life, you'll be doing well that way. And so then that created uh, a work ethic that would lead to material success. And, and so he's saying, why is America on top? Because driven by theology, they work harder than everybody else. And that, and then he says in, in his populations, like in Germany, it's a huge Catholic population. Uh, they all believe they're a guaranteed paradise one way or the other. And so it did not create as strong of a work ethic. Germany today is very famous for a very strong work ethic. Um, and so he is saying that as the world is getting less and less religious, uh, the, uh, what's taking place over the, the, capital, the Christian work ethic, the Calvinist Christian work ethic is, is capitalism. And so he says that's why America's on top and such. And if we apply that to us, uh, if I don't feel an urgency in improving my akhirah, then I'm effectively saying my akhirah is guaranteed, right? Mm -hmm. If I don't feel an urgency to, for example, go on hajj, then I'm effectively saying, yeah, I'm going to be fine. And so likewise with my daily prayers, likewise with things I do between my daily prayers and such, if I don't have a sense of urgency, then I'm essentially saying that I'm guaranteed either just because I am or because Allah is so merciful, whatever the case may be, right? And so, yeah, so then the point you made is that your material condition in this world tells you nothing about your akhirah, which the other common sentiment a lot of people have is that if you're more rich, you're probably further away from Allah. If you're more poor, you're probably closer to Allah. Nope, not necessarily. The Prophet, peace be upon him, on the one hand, he was asked, you know, by the companions, what are you afraid for us in the future? Are you afraid we're all going to be poor? He said, no, I'm afraid you're going to be rich. Yeah. Because when you get rich, it's very easy to decrease your dependence on Allah and increase your sense of self-sufficiency self like this guy in the garden. And then on the flip side, he also spoke of poverty as being something close to disbelief or a pathway to disbelief. Because poverty can relate to despair. Hunger can relate to despair, which is a pathway to, to kufr.
right? And so both sides have their big risks. But what is the indication of your akhirah? What you do with whatever it is Allah sets before you. So if he puts ease before you, how you respond to it, and you already know this. If you put if he puts ease before you, how you respond to the ease is an indication of your akhirah. If you put struggle before you, how you respond to the struggle uh, is an indication of your akhirah. Still, there are companions that complained that, all right, we've got people among us who are super wealthy and they do everything we do, except that they have all this money to donate. So they have an advantage. And then the Prophet says, peace be upon him, recites subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, akbar. And that's like more, worth more than all this stuff. Yeah. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing the language of the Prophet, peace be upon him. He probably didn't say words like stuff. So, so yeah. And, and so it's, as you know, it's what you do with what Allah hands you that indicates your akhirah. And what Allah hands you is specifically designed for you. And then there are different ways to respond. Like he gave the example of masha, masha Allah, la quwwata illa billah. Um, things to say as other, as well as the other narrations. And uh, what do you think about the point that okay, you know, children are a test, but daughters might actually be better? <laughs> do you like do you like that point? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah. as a father of daughters, yeah, I would agree. Uh, but the basic principle is is that you can try to condition your children to become a benefit for you by raising them to be upright, by raising them to pray, and then hopefully by extension to be grateful for you and to pray for you and such. And so the suggestion here is that that's more likely with daughters than with sons. It reminds me of a friend of mine. He was a dentist. He was older than me. And he talked about his two kids. His first child was a boy. Second child was a girl. And his daughter used to say, you know, daddy, don't worry. When you get old and retire, I'll take care of you. His son used to say, Dad, when you get old, make sure you take care of your Mercedes because I'm going to inherit it. And so it better be in good condition. <laughs> Representative of all boys and girls, obviously not. But, but the point is that things in dunya that Allah does give us, we can, so back to the point of how do we respond to them, we can turn them into vanities. Mm-hmm. Right? Or we can turn them into vessels through which to get closer to Allah. And that's the goal, what you want to do. So if Allah gives you a garden, if Allah Ta'ala gives you children, if Allah Ta'ala gives you other types of wealth, you want to try to steer them or, or make them into vessels that help you get closer to Allah. Of course, with the garden, you have limited amount of control because it relates to water and nourishment and such. With your mm-hmm. child, you have a little, little limited amount of control because they develop their own personalities and their own uh, directions in life. But that's the goal of what we, what we intend to do, inshallah. Cool. Let me think if there's anything else from me. Uh, do you have any questions about anything? Uh, no. Okay. Very cool, Marcelo. So we made it through about halfway through the surah. And so little by little, we're, we're working our way through. And I think, is it next time we're going to get into the story of Musa and Khidr? No, next time it's going to be the story of Iblis al-Rajim. And then after that, I think it's the other interesting stories. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Then uh, we'll stop right here and we'll continue inshallah next week. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد ان لا اله الا انت نستغفرك ونتوب اليك and we'll tell reward you and we'll touch base again inshallah inshallah assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah wa alaykum assalam